Welcome to Unboxed. I'm your host, Connie Nam, the founder of Astrid and Mew. In these conversations, I speak to the founders of some of the most innovative, bold, and exciting businesses to discover the person behind the brand and what it took for them to build their empires. I'm here with the man who believes bad eyesight is a blessing. I'm here with the founder of Cubits, Tom Broughton. He began collecting vintage glasses and learned the art of making glasses. And now he has 16 stores across the UK, which is a successful business. He's also a great friend of mine. We share our highs and lows of being a founder. You get nervous about it, you put everything into it, you pitch to them, and then they just ghost you. But to me, like glasses are such an indelible part of who somebody is. Like when I think of Jarvis Cocker, I think of his glasses. I applied to go on Dragon's Den. It got that desperate. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Payhawk. Growing a business from a startup to a scale-up comes with many challenges. One way to solve this is to introduce effective systems at the right time. Payhawk, a corporate card and expenses management solution for scale-ups, have literally transformed many lives at Astrid and Mew since implementing earlier this year. To simplify, Payhawk combines company cards, reimbursable expenses, accounts payable, and seamless accounting software integrations into a single product that can be used globally. In this episode, Tom and I are talking about our growing pains. Both businesses, similar in size, have grown tremendously through physical retail. With many retail branches, aligning spending have been a massive roadblock for my teams. With Payhawk, we were able to simplify our expenses processes and at the same time able to decentralize spending and give full autonomy to our team leaders. Here are some key highlights of the software. First, Payhawk allows you to improve cash flow control across multiple departments and currencies by visualizing current funds versus upcoming spend via the group dashboard. Second, you can also choose to tailor workflows to accommodate specific requirements for example, assign designated spend approvers at group or department level. This was an important feature for us as our org chart was getting more complex with international subsidiaries and expanding departments. Third, Payhawk has the best-in-class direct integrations with finance software and ERP such as Zero, which we use, or NetSuite, which was a huge draw for us as we did not have dedicated resources to integrate and manage all of our systems naturally as a small business. If you would like to find out more, schedule a demo using the link in the show notes and be sure to tell them you came from the Unbox podcast to receive a 20% discount. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Can we start by telling everyone about yourself, um, how you grew up, um, your personal stories, as well as about Cubits the brand? Yeah, of course. So... Um... I'm 41 years old. I was born in Leicester in the East Midlands. Um, I had a pretty standard like, like upbringing. I think probably the thing that's probably most relevant is uh, when I was like 14 or 15, I started wearing glasses, um, which at the time I didn't know was going to lead me on this path. But um, I, think, I think looking back, I think I realized that w when I started wearing glasses, it was when I was confident, becoming confident in who I was a, as a person, as a sort of oh, yeah, 14, 15 year old. Uh -huh. And I think so. And well, also, was it because of the glasses, or yeah, well, yeah. or, to be or honest, it just like, coincided? Well, I think because of my, the age I was at the time, and a lot of the things I was into. And when would this have been like nineteen ninety five? Um, a long time ago. But um, 
I was get, really getting into music and all of the musicians that I liked wore glasses. So I was really into the Smiths and Morrissey wore glasses. And then like I got into Pulp and Jarvis Cocker, all these amazing glasses. And I, yeah, so my late teens, early twenties, I really got into glasses. Anyway. Oh, interesting. So you, so you kind of found your style role model. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I didn't, and, and I was sort of, you know, also if you turn up at school in a pair of glasses, like, everyone like laughs at you right it becomes part, part of your like identity and so as a 14 15 year old I was like you know the one of probably two or three kids in like class that wore glasses but I really enjoyed it and I think that kind of carried on for yeah the, I guess the rest of my upbringing and then as I moved into yeah then like got a, you know proper job when I was in my 20s I always harbored this ambition of like starting a glasses company but for a long time it was just um as a hobby, really. And, oh, that's yeah. so interesting. So was it entrepreneurship or glasses that drew you into founding? Glasses. That's so interesting. Yeah, oh. so I did, like, honestly, I would have, you know, I always thought that I, I'd like to do something with glasses, but I just thought it would be like a hobby that I'd do like in the evenings or at the weekends. I didn't think it would ever become a business. So where did the inspiration of Cubits come from? Obviously, like your, you know, upbringing, 14, 15 year old, wearing glasses, being confident, but what else inspired you to start this as a business? Well, like, I honestly think because like, so, so I'd see people like, you know, Jarvis Cocker, like on Top of the Pops or whatever, wearing these like amazing frames, really thick, bold. They're part of, it felt like an extension of his personality. And I thought that was super cool. And then I would go into like, you know, a high street optician and I'd be like, there's such a mismatch here. There isn't like, where are the glasses for people that want to wear glasses? See, you go into these high street opticians, it'll all be like tiny little thin glasses or wire frames or rimless. And they all seemed to be like providing glasses for people that didn't want to wear glasses. And so it wasn't until I guess I was like in my early 20s that I discovered a couple of brands that I thought were amazing. There's a brand called Cutler and Gross, yeah. um, Oliver Goldsmith, but like they were so niche and nobody knew about them. And so I think as time went on, I just realized that there was a bit of a like, where, yeah, where were the glasses brands for people that want to wear glasses? And also if you can make them, I think that, I think the problem with a lot of the brands that I really liked, they were like really exclusive I remember going when I first, so I moved to London when I was in my early 20s uh, to get a job. And then I remember going to, yeah, one of the kind of like really high-end stores over in Knightsbridge. And, you know, I walked in, I could just tell they were like, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You're, you're not welcome here. You don't have enough money to shop here. And I was just like, well, yeah, it seems that there's a real opportunity to be, yeah, a really nice glasses brand for people that care about wearing glasses that is also, you know, equitable and open and like, sort of not doesn't take itself too seriously yeah there's, yeah. A, there's a weird thing about like a lot of glasses brands i mean they're a funny thing right because they're a medical product they're like this weird you know you wear them because you have some sort of like optical deficiency and yet a lot of the high-end brands sell this kind of weird kind of faux fashion that never really it's lots of kind of you know yeah it's also owned by one company right yeah luxotica yeah, exactly which is really strange yeah. yeah so it's a really interesting product but like you know in my 20s there was never really a brand other than there's one that first kind of got me excited that really like spoke to me yeah, so, yeah. it's so interesting there's so much parallel between how you started cubits and how i started astron mu because that was my whole pain point i yeah. couldn't you know find anything that i really liked where people didn't look down on me where you know like you can go clubbing and it doesn't turn green and it just like doesn't break and uh, that was the inspiration behind astron mu yeah and i guess we were doing it at like the same time yeah yeah exactly not, <laughs> like around the same the age time. like everything yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so there's a lot of parallel and I want to make sure that it's diverse, inclusive, everything, the whole ethos. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Was there an event that defined who you are? I mean, I don't think there was like a particular like 
event. I mean, I think for me, it was all always like growing up in Leicester. Like when, when was I going to leave like Leicester? Because I mean, it's like, you know, it's a fine city, but like I always just wanted to kind of get away and, and kind of work out who I like was going to be. And, I, and to be honest, I, well, I still don't really know, but like, um, <laughs> you know, I spent a long time, yeah, sort of getting, getting out of Leicester and then I moved to like, not even did a degree. And then I moved to London to get a job, but like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I spent like, yeah, 10 years just trying to work out what I wanted to do and then started Cubits as a side project. And like, it was, you know, for the first two or year and a half, I ran it as like a side project. So I had a proper job proper, proper job, job. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do in your prop what was your proper job before i did Qubits? like um, i did all sorts of stuff my, my last job before cubits was i was work, doing work for um spotify i did like all sorts of stuff like in for, i worked in like children's television and uh worked for like telecoms companies and like yeah lots of like little projects because i was just trying to i was trying to work out what i wanted to do yeah. i still and, yeah and i still don't really know what i want to do when i, when I grow <laughs> so up so you were kind of in different functions in different industries yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of them in media. A lot of that stuff, that, yeah. yeah. But, I, you know, I think what I, re I really like variety. It's one of the good things about, I guess, starting a business, right? Because yeah, you're, yeah. you're forced to embrace variety. Yes, yes, and you need to do everything. You, you need, need to be jack of all trades, exactly. especially when resources are scarce. Yeah. So how, how did you start this as your, I guess, side hustle for the first two years? So Did you um, put your own money in? Yeah. How did you go about finding your suppliers? Everything. Well, so I spent, um, like, a few years saving up the money. So... Yeah, probably over sort of, I don't know, six, seven years. Was, was that deliberate? Money. Because you yeah, wanted yeah, because yeah, I wanted to like, start something. Yeah. And like back then I had a business partner. Well, he was uh, someone I worked with when I worked at Deloitte. And the two of us were like pooling our like resource. We're putting a certain amount into this bank account every month. Um, then his sort of life circumstances changed and he was no longer, no longer to be part of it. Um, so I ended up sort of buying out his share. So, and then used that to start, start Qubits. Um, and like what, I what happened to him? Do you uh, mind me asking? He had or? like uh, th uh, three kids, four kids. And like, oh, wow. I think, and you know, he's quite a lot older than me. And I just think like, you know, he just had a different life. Like, you know, yeah. entrepreneurship's hard, right? And it's, yes, and like, it is hard. You need to be 100% committed. And I think, um, I mean, one thing that, I find in a lot of founders is co-founder dynamics is yeah. very, very tricky. And you need to be at the right kind of stage, same, same stage, like yeah. in fact, but you need to have completely different skill sets. Yeah. Well, I remember for him, he, you know, yeah, he had a family support. I was, you know, living in my own in King's Cross um, and could live relatively, like pretty frugally. Mm. Uh, and he, he basically said, like, I can't commit. I need to keep working. I can't yeah. commit to this. And I, it just doesn't work if you're not both in it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so, is understandable from his point of view. Yeah. And so then anyway, then I, yeah, we started. And I think I'd, I'm trying to remember the exact, but it was about, I think I'd raised about, about 67,000 pounds, mm. which I'd raised over like six, seven years, and then managed to kind of spend it all in about three months, I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> How did you raise that money? It was, I was just putting money away every month. Yeah. Oh, like, like rate, raise, yeah, yeah, yeah. like self-funded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, yeah, that point was not, <laughs> not very nice, <laughs> to be honest. And, I, I look, and, and like at the time, I couldn't believe that I'd like spent like that so much money in such a yeah, short period yeah, of time. Yeah. But then it's like, I think, yeah, you don't realize, do you, that how much, everything's no, so expensive. No, you build no. a website and yeah, it's Yeah, everything amount, costs money. And then, yeah, you 
trademark a name and it's yeah. three grand. Where, you did you, where did you spend all that money, by the way? Uh, a lot of it was on building a website, actually, which is why it's in my head. I think we spent like 20 grand on building a website, which didn't really work. Well, that's a lot at yeah. that time. Yeah. Oh, uh, I spent 500 pounds. Really? I mean, mind you, it crashed all the time, but initially it doesn't matter, right? Because no one comes in except for yourself and your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was pretty bad. That was pretty difficult. You know as well, it's not just that you've lost your life savings. It's also that it's, you're so, it's so tied into your sense of sort of self and purpose yeah. and your ego as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you're going to all of your friends who you've been going on about for this thing you're going to start for ages. And it's like, it's going really badly. I've spent all my money. I mean, it's your everything. Yeah, even yeah. now, right? Do you feel that even now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or yeah, has completely. it evolved a little bit? No, it's even now. Yeah. Because it's your everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I still get if we get like a bad review. Yeah, like, I think like a lot of the things that people wouldn't be able to empathize because they think, oh, you have a successful business. Like, why are you so hung up? I yeah. think for a founder, it's our life. We put all our savings in and all our time and money. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like the opportunity cost, right? Yeah. Of working for someone else and making a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a funny relationship. Yeah, it's so interesting. We talked a little bit about your early years and you decided very early on to open brick and mortars. Mm. Can you tell me about the thought process and how you opened that? Did you need funding? How did you go about it? Yeah, so yeah, we, we started on, we launched, yeah, for the first year we were online. So we launched on the 25th of October, 2023. So we're going to be 10 years old this year. Um, and but to be honest, I always wanted to open a store. The only reason I didn't because I couldn't afford it because I'd spent all the money on websites yeah. and, <laughs> and trademarking and whatnot. I, I don't think you could have opened a store with sixty grand anyways, yeah. right? Well, I was yeah. so pe- so so like terrified by it. But like to be honest, I always wanted to just because it's such um, you know glasses are such a physical, individual, personal yeah, product. Yeah, absolutely. Like and also I didn't want like the, the stores. The store. The idea was not. It's not just a place where you put stuff on a shelf and sell it. It's like we offer eye examinations and bespoke services and consultations and repairs and all of these services on site which were you know really hard to like uh replicate online so i always wanted to but um could, couldn't afford it and to be honest like so so for the first sort of six months we ran as um a pretty unsuccessful e-commerce business we were probably <laughs> selling like one frame a day on that's average not, that's not too bad <laughs> it's better than none um uh, and like literally it was like, yeah, we're running out of my flat, yeah. cycling around London, when, like, like, taking people's pupillary distance yeah. and adjusting frames on the front doorstep and all that kind of stuff. How did people find out about you? I honestly the, the people I, that were buying. We, we, when we launched the website, someone just bought a frame that day. And I don't really, I, I've not worked out if my, if my mum or my mum's friend or something. Oh, but like, okay. But I, I did, we did like quite early on, had an interview on like Monocle Radio. Yeah. And we got quite a lot of stuff off the back of that. And then it just sort of like, I wouldn't say grew, it maybe grew to like selling two frames a day. Mm. And then uh, we were like, by this point, we were completely, we're basically bankrupt. Um, Were you doing any wholesale or like publicity? Well, no. Well, so what happened was we were like, I was like to Joe, who was our first employee. Mm. I was like, okay, well, we're fucked. What are we going to do? We need to do, we need to do something. Um, So we're like, well, let's try and do some wholesale. And we were like, let's, we made a little list of brands that we liked. And the the first one on the list was a brand called Albam like a menswear brand um, that had a store on Upper yeah. Street. And I, I got on my bike, cycled over, knocked on the door and was like, it'd be really nice if you could stock us. And I met the founder, Alistair, who we had a chat and he was like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Is that where Gary found you? Exactly. Yeah. So like that, comp- that moment sort of changed everything. 
So we ended up going to that store and then, yeah, Gary, who became, became our seed investor for both of us, um, yes. <laughs> he came into the uh, album and bought a pair and then sent us an email like, out of the blue saying, I've, you know, I'm looking to invest in local businesses. I really like your product. Do you fancy? I was looking at the email the other day, actually. It's kind of mad, really. So I'm, yeah, I ended up meeting him on the some place yeah. in the Caledonian Both, Road both of you got really lucky, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously an amazing investor for yeah. us and you, and like you're such a great business. But it's been, per but before that, I'd been trying to get money, like raise money for six months, and it had just been like just rejection after rejection, mm. and like no, you know, we could go to those like pitch events where yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. you know, pitching in front of thirty investors, yeah. sort of, the sort of dragons denny things, and it was just like. But to be honest, the, the thing I found so demoralizing was not the rejection, it was the, the nothing. When you mm. just go and pitch to people and you'd yeah. really, you get nervous about it and you'd put everything into it and you pitch to them and then they just ghost you. <laughs> It'll be like, I had a lot of ghosting. I think a lot of investors are not that smart. They yeah. have a herd mentality. Oh, They're 100%. very momentum driven. So if you have like one or two investors who are very excited, everyone else just wants to invest. And yeah, I think completely. like Gary doesn't really ride on that moment. He's a very smart investor. He knows yeah. what a good business is. Yeah, completely. So that, so that, to be honest, that you know we we were literally within a few months many over many months of like the business going under like yeah but that it was that it was that week going into like album that sort of changed everything really yeah. and then gary invested um he invested yeah invested a hundred thousand pounds which allowed us to and we put that towards like half of that or 40 percent of that went to opening our first store yeah that's amazing such an amazing story. And you mentioned Joe, who's your first employee. When did you get him on board? Because I know the first employee, yeah, employee. like is so important. Sarah, our marketing director, has been with me for 11 years and she's like amazing. I yeah. know Joe's like the same for you. Can you tell me a bit about that process and yeah. how his role evolved, how your relationship evolved? Yeah, so Joe, I've known Joe since he was 10 years old, I think. So he, was, he went to school with my brother. He was my brother's best friend growing up. Um, and we always got on really well. He then moved to London um, in probably like 2011, maybe 10, 11, and was um, like working in a pub, uh, pulling pints and trying to work out what he wanted to do. And I just said to him, you know, well, this, you know, this glasses thing that I've been banging on about for ages, do you fancy coming in like helping me? And I don't know what your role would be, but I know I just need some help. So he originally started as an intern. I think he was doing like two or three days a week. Then it became five days. Then he had a proper job. I can't remember what his job was at the beginning. It just is basically Joe's done everything, every single yeah. part of like the process, glazing, production, customer service, operations, retail, like literally every, finance, like every single part yeah. of it. And now, you know, I don't actually know what his job title is now. Now he's looking <laughs> after like um, all customer experience. Yeah. But he's, he's done everything. And like, if it wasn't for Joe, like Cubis wouldn't exist. Like, yeah. not just because he's so brilliant at his job, but also he's just, and especially if you're kind of solo founders, yeah. he's your, he becomes your foil. Yeah. And he's like my voice of reason. Yep. When Joe says to me, Tom, can we go and have a pint? I'm like, oh no, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> but he's always right. He's always yeah. like, he holds me to account. Like, yeah. And you know, we've worked together now for, yeah, 11 years. And yeah. it's like, yeah. I'd be lost without Joe. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Joe, Joe is your Sarah. Sarah's my yeah. Joe. Yeah. yeah. And like, I guess you're, I'm sure you're the same, right? Especially. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think of Sarah as a partner, not mm. an employee. She's really helped me and she's filled the gaps everywhere. And she has all the strengths that I don't have. She can really like smooth things out for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I learn so much from her every day. And it's also amazing just seeing how, like, you know, like I say, I've known Joe since he was 10. I started working when, with him when he was 
22 mm. when he had no idea what, what he wanted to do yeah. and he was a bit lost. And now he's like, what, 34, is he? 35? And he's like married and got a beautiful kid yeah. and he's like a perfect dad and has this love. And it's like amazing seeing him kind of yeah, yeah, he's blossom really into, grown. Yeah, he's incredible. And you've seen all of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah same, same here. Like Sarah, I hired Sarah when she was 24 and she was the smartest 24-year-old out there. She joined me as an assistant and then quickly she became the marketing manager and now yeah. she's the marketing director. And she started off doing everything I didn't fancy doing, going to the post office and like uploading everything on the website and doing wholesale as well as retail, everything. So she knows the business inside out. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's most- we're so lucky, right? To yeah, have yeah, yeah. And I think that's one thing that people don't talk about. Like yeah. founders don't give enough credit to those early employees who are willing to do everything. Yeah, and like agree. you know, yeah, like behind the scenes. Yeah. During the early years, what were you given any good advice that you can remember? What was the best advice that you were given? I remember getting in touch with. So when we were in a complete nadir, and I was like just desperate for, I just just like trying everything. So obviously. It worked going to album, but like I did all sorts. I mean, I, I applied to go on Dragon's Den. It got that desperate. <laughs> but, <laughs> did you get accepted? Yeah, but they got in touch with me like a year later. And oh, I was like, too, oh, late. too late. Yeah. Um, but I remember one day getting it. I was just like, I'm going to, I need to, sp- just want to speak to people who've been through this before. So I like Googled like British entrepreneurs and it came up with a few. And I just started guessing their email addresses to see. And there was a bloke, there's, you know, the, uh, the shirt company, Charles Tirrett bloke who started that called Nick Wheeler. And I just guessed his address and emailed him. Uh, and he replied in about five minutes. And I was like, I wasn't expecting him to reply. So I was like, I didn't know what to reply with. Uh, and I was like, oh, it'd just be really nice to get your advice. And, um, uh, and he was like, yeah, yeah, cool. Just come over. And I was like, what now? And he was like, yeah. So I cycled over to their offices down on like, yeah, on, uh, south, south, on South Bank. And he was amazing. Yeah, he gave me so much time. And he just said to me like, well, first he was in co- it was encouragement in itself that someone had replied to me. But I remember him just saying, what was the phrase he used? He, it was like, don't uh, be the tortoise, not the hare, was what he said to me. And he was just like, it just takes a long time and people want to rush everything. And, you know, the world is all, all the stories that you read are all about how this place is, you know, they've grown 10,000% in a year and they've become a unicorn in two years. And, and that's how, like, everyone talks about it. But he's like, actually, it just takes a long time. And all the best brands, um, they don't, I think he talked about, have it, they have the deepest roots rather than the highest trees or something like, like that. And, I, and like- That's I such really, good insight. I, That's so true. And it is so true. And, and also it gave me like permission to go slowly, which I didn't think I had to. I thought you've got to be completely, mm. but actually just being like, okay, no, I'm going to take a bit of time getting this right was like incredibly helpful. And so, you know, I- he also said never take investment from anybody, which it was a bit too late because I think I'd taken investment. You, you know what? I did meet, meet Nick as well. Oh, and okay. he gave me the same advice. Not not the go slow bit, but don't take an investment. Yeah. Keep 100%. Yeah. And that's what he's done, right? And he's yeah, grown yeah, his business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I could afford to, I would have. Yeah. But, um, but then like I had great investors and Gary actually gave me similar advice when he invested. He's like, make sure you keep control. Yeah. 
of the business. Yeah, well, I remember Gary said, like, sell as little as your equity to me as mm. you can. Such great advice, yeah. isn't it? And again, how lucky we were to speak to people that would be so like, yeah. like honest and, honest and, and have, our, have our back, really. Yeah, it and wasn't so empowering to founders, yeah. right? Because that's not what the landscape looks like. Yeah. It looks like raising whatever money at whatever valuation. That's kind of become a trophy yeah, for a exactly. lot of founders. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And, then, and him just saying that, um, Nick, it just allowed you to you just think the world in a slightly more yeah. uh, lateral way. Yeah, and so, it's coming from a successful entrepreneur, so you yeah. listen, right? Yeah, exactly. We just talked about the best advice you were given. What would you tell your younger self in the early years, knowing what you know now? Gosh, that is a very good question. I think at the beginning, I used to, um, I would say it's like fine to make mistakes, I think. Like the way the edu education system works, you're always told there's like right and wrong, right? And mm. like, you, you know, you scored it at the end of a yeah, year yeah, and you yeah. do... The whole examination system and university system is yeah. all about this kind of binary right and wrong. Yeah. And you suddenly start like... And you uh, beat people by margin, right? Yeah, by being exactly. a little more perfect. Exactly. And so that kind of... When we're all starting, I was like, I thought that there'd be a right way to do stuff. Mm. And you realize it's just chasms of gray. And it's like... And also being wrong is, you know, good because you learn from it. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, I tell my, my what, 31-year-old self, don't fret about making a wrong decision it's often better to make a decision and get it wrong than to make no decision. Yeah, because you learn from it. Yeah, because you just get paralyzed otherwise. Yeah. And it's like everything. Like yeah. you've got, you, we, yeah, which, I don't know, law firm to do your copyright things with or what color to do your font yeah. type or with or like what, you know, where to put a margin on a website or like you just get like completely overwhelmed. So you just got to like just bosh, bosh through it and come back to it later. Yeah. So what was the biggest mistake and lessons learned? Oh God. I mean, there's so many mistakes. I can't like the single, I mean, we've made so many big ones. I mean, I would say like, like hiring the wrong people is like a constant. Yeah. yeah. Slowly getting. That's the biggest <laughs> risk, isn't it? Well, you just realize like, well, I made, I made all the classic cliched naive mistakes of like hiring people that were too like senior or maybe too experienced thinking they're going to solve all my problems. Mm. And they were at, you know, invariably a disaster and a nightmare. Yeah. And actually, if you really hire the wrong person, it can it can set you back years. It can cause yeah, so yeah, much damage. Yeah, absolutely. Because they can come the with, especially when they come with egos, right? Yeah. And then you end up listening to them. And yeah. then like, they don't know the full context. Yeah, that was, yeah. Was, you know, obviously we won't go into the specifics, but there were a couple of <laughs> hires that were like, yeah, were, yeah, they, 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 they were really bad. Um, but how would you go about it if you're, a founder who's not as experienced in certain fields, you do need to get those experts, right? But How would you do that differently? I wouldn't, yeah. I just wouldn't hire people. I get it through like meeting people. Yeah. But I, well, I think what, and maybe it's another thing I tell young, younger self, although actually I was probably all right about then, but like sort of hustle and meet people. Mm. Like it's amazing what people will tell you. Yeah. Like, like I say with that example with Nick Wheeler, that was literally guessing somebody's email address. And, yeah, I agree. And just be nice to them. And like you can't get, it's so valuable. And so, and you don't need to like buy people's experience. They'll just yeah. do it for like a, co like a coffee or just, just be nice yeah, to them. Yeah. So, do um, people reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and anyone, I will, I will always say yes to having a meeting with anybody that asks about anything. Oh, do you? Like for that reason, right? Yeah. I, you sort of feel like there's, you have an obligation. Yeah. But not many people do. Maybe it's just me. Is there a good opening line like for them to reach out to you? Hi, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> You're always going to have to do things you've not done before and stuff you find really difficult. Yeah. Like even now, if there's something we can't do, like every, if, I, I will I'll try not to kind of buy it by getting somebody in i'll try yeah. and do it ourselves yeah even if we like fuck up 
but because you learn so much and, and it helps make, if you then go and hire somebody, you're much better informed about what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Every time that I've tried to hire someone to solve a problem, it's been a disaster. Yeah, that's true. What about consultants? We sort of have a few, I sort of, yeah, I'm a bit allergic to them, but like, <laughs> but I like them for like very, very, very specific yeah. things and or skills that we literally don't have where you can really define yeah. the role. If it's stuff like help us think through our strategy, mm. but which we've tried to in the past, mm. that's been a disaster. Yeah. Um, but if it's like, like McKinsey style. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> um, you've realized that's got to come from you. And, and I guess a lot of the stuff we've done about like brand at the beginning I was like I don't know anything about like brand just kind of can I just get a brand person to like yeah. do it for me and when we tried that it's been again been a disaster yeah. you realize there's people who can facilitate it but it has to come from you yeah sometimes the framework helps but it does need yeah. to come from you I yeah. agree and with consultants um I found you need to have very specific need yeah otherwise it could go like all over the place yeah but I've had a couple of like consultants that were really good one of our consultants um Lex who consulted for you as well she's our people director now yeah well. so like, she, it, it could work out yeah and she was brilliant for us she just, yeah she she brought the framework in that allowed yeah. us to kind of define our people strategy yeah yeah with the consultant they need to have the framework they need to know exactly they need to ask the right questions as well to yeah. define like exactly what you want if you don't know what you want but i would say like generally i am i've become more cynical about people's experience mm. over time yeah and now i'd always much i'd much rather hire somebody with less experience but more kind of passion and vigor and desire to learn. I agree with you as well, because we do things so differently and that's why we're successful, yeah. I dare say. So if someone comes from a big company, having done like, I don't know, 20 years of something, they come with certain expectations. Yeah. And that could be very disruptive to what you do. And also yeah, completely culturally, but also like practically, like in the past when we've like tried, especially things like e-commerce, mm. you speak to people who like, you know, grew a e-commerce business in like 2007. Yeah. And it's like, so different. It's, the world has changed. It's completely yeah. irrelevant. Yeah, so different. And it's um, it needs to be relevant to your business as well, yeah. right? Because we both have omni-channel businesses. So we need someone who fit into that omni-channel strategy, yeah. for instance. Yeah, exactly. What's the future of Qubits and, and you personally? What would you like to do when you grow up? Where would Qubits be heading? I'm 41 now, so I'm probably about halfway through my life, maybe. I don't exercise enough and I'm left-handed. So maybe I'm over halfway through my life. <laughs> So, you know, it's, I guess what am I going to do in the next 30, 40 years, hopefully? Like, I still, yeah, I still love Qubits. Like, it's still, I'm, yeah, it's an indelible part of my life. Um, we talk a lot about how, how, how can we try and build, like, a company and a brand and a business that could last for, like, 100 years, which not many businesses do. Yeah, I um, love that. And I would love for Qubits to, like, well, 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 well outlive me. Um, I don't know. Like, it's just, uh, I, don't I don't have a plan. If I'm honest, like I would just like, I, th I think because Cubits did start with as, essentially as a hobby, but without any kind of aspirations, it's already within two years it exceeded all my expectations. It's already, you know, now 135 people in 16 stores and like an international business. And like, that's all amazing. But I think as it's grown, I've, I've sort of gained more of a sense of, I guess, responsibility over it. And it sort of feels now, like I say, it's 10... 10 years old and it sort of feels like a 10 year old like it feels like it's got its personality now and it's like a little bit naughty but you can kind of see what it want it can become yeah and like i kind of want cubits now to kind of grow and blossom into you know like a joe like i want it to become oh, like a really you know really kind of you know have its own sense to, to, to grow much bigger than like me or who we are now yeah 
and really become a like a beautiful brand and a beautiful company yeah um but what in, entirely what that means i mean i yeah i don't yeah, know it's a real founder mentality isn't it like yeah. you want it to out, outlive you you want it to be a great brand for yeah. years to come and then your relationship with it is so yeah well weird. yeah what's your relationship with cupids how I has mean, it I, evolved I, I broadly yeah. love it but there are times i absolutely hate it when like, do you hate it <laughs> well it just sort of ebbs and flows it's just like if i look over the last like 10 years there was the beginning, which was like unbelievably hard, like the hardest thing I've ever done. And I hated it. And I became like bitter about it. And it felt like a kind of noose around my neck. There's then bits where like you're, it's so manic that you don't even know how to feel about it. Like, and, but then afterwards you look back and you think, oh my God, that was amazing. And I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, it never gets easier. I think I've real. I always thought like, oh, if I get to three stores and then we'll hire a store manager, then it will be like, easy and then it's like new problems come and new problems come and new problems yep. come um and but yeah I just sort of love it in a different way I think that the challenge is though when if you're a founder like how that then how then like running a business like um sort of dovetails with founding a business and like because running a business is really for me anyway it's incredibly boring mm. like it's so different isn't it yeah. Is, yeah it's, it's boring yeah. so it's like but there's some people that love it but that's not me yeah. so the question is like how can the stuff that I know that like gets me excited how I can kind of shoehorn that into yeah. so how do you role. separate that being a founder and uh, I guess being a CEO running a business yeah I mean I don't really how would you define those two um, roles well I guess with founder it's all about kind of setting the vision and the culture um which is something that is also, it's never finished, right? You're always just like working and it's this weird organic thing and you change your mind all your time and deviate. And, and then, you know, I think the CEO is just making sure that it's kind of solvent and um, everything, all, you know, everything's held together, all the, the cell tape's not coming off and it's, and, and, Pete, and you, you, you bring the right people in and yeah. you're like um, getting better at that and hiring better people and developing people and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just like it, it changed that that part of it just changes constantly. Yeah. And some of it I love and some of it I don't. Love. Yeah, I would agree with you. Do you think there are unique sets of challenges as a founder CEO? I think it's the kind of amorphous nature of those two roles, which does make it really difficult. I'm jealous of friends who have businesses, who founded businesses and then are appointed a CEO. Because I'm like, how what? how does that work though? Yeah, well, I how, don't know. Do they, do they I work guess well? I guess we're widening well? it, but there's loads of. I you was know, speaking to um, a friend uh, the other day uh, who had a comp who's got a company not far from here actually, and they there's two of them founded it and they got a managing director within that, within about a year. Um, I'm probably and probably similar to you, like too much of a control freak to ever do it like that early, um, and it would the the downside risk of it going wrong fills me with such dread that I've never really ever even got close to that really um but there's got to be a point right where yeah. like I mean some people would say we're already past the point where I'm you know <laughs> I can get a better person to me than run the company but that will definitely come yeah because also I know that like you know you'll know it's, it was amazing starting a business that you you have to really confront your weaknesses. They mm. stare at you in the mirror yeah, every yeah. single day. You're literally, yeah, you know, your anxiety, you're staring your anxiety mm. in the face all, yeah. the, all the time. Yeah, and everyone will know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so. And they're and, like talking about it. <laughs> and I know, yeah, I know all the stuff that I'm like terrible at. And especially the sort of commercial aspects of it. I'm not, mm. I'm not, they're not my, I'm just not interested in mm. a lot of that. So there becomes a point where 
that becomes that the balance changes from it being kind of just kind of brand and mission and purpose driven yeah. to actually, you know, we need to be a bit, yeah. you know, have more. So what would be your ideal balance. setup? Like you'd be the founder and creative director. Yeah, and but I don't think for, I couldn't just be creative director. The thing is, I do like I like doing lots of things. Like yeah. I do like, which I imagine if you if if somebody else was running it, I would be really annoying because I'd be getting <laughs> I getting involved in like product and designing, glazing yeah, yeah, and fulfillment, yeah. and like yeah. I'd just be constantly prodding them. Mm. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, like I, yeah, like I say, I don't have a plan. Yeah, I know at some point the company will there'll be much better people than me to run the like run the company. Yeah, like I don't know when that is or what form that will be, but like. Mm. I do think it will just work its it will work itself out. Yeah. It'll be it'll be pretty obvious when. Yeah, I'm redundant. <laughs> everyone, everyone will tell me. <laughs> but there's always new problems, right? Yeah. For, for the founder to solve, always things to firefight or just managing growth and change yeah. is a lot of but, work. But I know where there's like a couple of years ago we got approached by a company what who like wanted to like acquire us who were this who were like a German listed yeah, listed on the stock market, really corporate. Mm. I remember speaking to them and I was just like, A oh, glasses, glasses yeah. company. Yeah. I was like, this is my idea of hell. Mm. Like one running a, like a big company, but yeah. also being like listed on the stock yeah. exchange and having to deal with, I mean, I struggle enough dealing with two investors. <laughs> like that causes me a lot of like anguish, dealing with thousands and thousands of like, yeah, investors on a publicly listed stock market and, you know, having to wear a suit to like investor meetings and that it's just like, so I know that there's, <laughs> I know yeah. there's an end point for me. It's just where between now and there, you know, and how that dovetails into my 35 to 41 years remaining, like how that thing works, don't know. How do you feel when you see people wearing your glasses in the tube or the bus? Because um, I, I feel most excited when I see people wearing Astrid and Mew, like in the tube specifically. Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. Like, um, obviously it depends who they are, but like, um, there's a bloke on GB news wearing them the other day and I was like, I'm not happy about that. But, um, I mean, I love it. I find, yeah, I find, I have a sort of weird fit. So I never speak to people about it. Like I find it like, yeah, I get like overwhelmed by it. So I don't, but, um, yeah, it's really good. It's a nice yeah. feeling. I mean, I don't speak to people about it yeah. either. I don't want to be creepy. I'm like, where are those earrings from? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's weird. Like. You know, I've heard occasionally when I hear people talking about cubits, that's a weird feeling when you hear them like at a bar or on a bus. And they're yeah, talking you about had an it. interesting experience in New York, didn't you? Oh, you yeah. met this guy at a bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were, I was with our retail director, Katie, and we were looking for sites and like we'd done our little retail tour. So we thought we're going to hit the dive bars now. So we went in this dive bar and it like only took cash. So we're trying to get cash out and there was this, we couldn't work out the cash machine. I think we'd had a few drinks by this point. And um, the bloke came over to us and was like, oh, can I help you with that? Uh, and looked up and he was wearing cubits. And um, we were like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. So we told him that we worked at cubits. So he then was like, oh my God, I love cubits. I think he called them cubits actually. And he was like, oh, they're amazing. <laughs> they're, from, they're from London and it's a really cool <laughs> brand. And, and, and he said, oh, and crazy thing. I emailed them recently and I got a reply from this person called, hold on, let me get my phone. Uh, he was called Tom Broughton. And I was like, I'm Tom Brown. <laughs> um, customer service Because agent. I was doing a customer yeah. service like takeover day and he'd emailed me and then he took us out for, yeah, drinks that night. And like, we've stayed in touch ever since, but like, he still thinks Does, that does he know you're the founder or no, like you haven't told he him? He still thinks we're, we work in customer service, <laughs> Kay and I. But <laughs> I he emails that. us every time, it's amazing. Yeah, that was such like, yeah, beautiful serendipity and stuff like that. It's just like, 
yeah, it's, it's amazing. Oh, that's so nice. I love isn't it? It. How many glasses do you have, by the way? Do you have a whole shelf at home? I only, well, I've only got one pair, like at the moment. What? Like, where do you keep all these like vintage? Oh, I have like, like I have glasses. drawers of like my old glasses yeah. and stuff that I still look at occasionally. Yeah, so you have an archive. But I don't wear. I wear the same frame every day. Yeah, pretty much. How often do we, do you switch up your glasses? Like once a year. Oh. I don't change them very often, but the thing is, I love them so. And yeah. lots of lots of people are like, "Why don't you treat glasses like shoes or yeah, yeah. other accessories like your jewelry? You could change them every day and each day." But to me, like glasses are such an indelible part of who somebody is. Mm. Like when I think of Jarvis Cocker, I think of his glasses. When I think yeah. of Woody Allen, I think of his glasses. When I think of Morrissey, I think of his glasses. Like there's such a, uh, yeah, they're just part, they're an extension of like, like who you are. Also, if I had multiple pairs, because my eyesight's so bad, I'd just lose them all the time. I wouldn't know where to put them. So there's something nice about my glasses have two states. They're mm. either on my head or by my bed. That's it. <laughs> they, they don't really. Do you always get the same shape? When you switch no, them no, up. no, no, not yeah, really. I mix shapes. them, mix yeah. them up a bit. I'm wearing this one at the moment. This is called mm. Richmond, and I absolutely love it. Mm. And it's probably our worst-selling frame, I would say. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm not sure that's due to me wearing it or not. <laughs> but like, yeah, I love it. It's a squash panda from the 1930s. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I love. Yeah. When I went into your Edinburgh store when I was there, one of your, I think it was your supervisor who was wearing Barbie um, <laughs> frames yeah. and it looked amazing. That really made me want to get glasses. Yeah, people, so, so everyone that joins, we, um, we, they have to make their own frame mm. of making glasses and like some people go like wild because yeah. like glasses are quite a, like, a, a, like an austere, well, no, well, people, generally the industry is quite conservative. Mm. We were at our like um, acetate supply last week and, uh, in Italy, a place called Mazzucchelli, and we're like, so what's the new, What are there any new trends we should like be aware, aware of? And he said, yeah, black. <laughs> because he's supplying <laughs> nice. like most of the industry and he's yeah. just like, all people want to wear is black frames or like really dark turtle shell. And yeah. like, Where, but, whereas before it wasn't? Did that as well? I think it's all, I still think the industry is really, really conservative. It's just, I think, I think people that want to come and work for us are probably a bit more, you know, they, they have a different relationship with glasses. Yeah. And I still know, you know, like I said, right at the beginning, you know, we started with an idea to try and make glasses for people that want to wear glasses. And I'm still aware that most people or a lot of people who wear glasses don't really want to wear glasses. Mm. Like, and I do think that's shifting over time. Yeah. But um, yeah, I still, you know, my dad, he doesn't want to wear glasses. It's really? just not. What? Why is that? Well, I think people still see it as a sort of stigma. I think mm. in, especially in the UK where this is, it comes from a very medical background and people grew up with NHS frames. Yeah. And like, you know, you're bullied at school if you had NHS frames and it's like, yeah, it's a, oh, sign of we- it's a sign of weakness. Oh, is it? And I think there's a yeah. reason, you know, I'm always surprised when you look at like politicians, hmm. basically ha- like hardly any of them wear glasses, even though in reality they will 100% will need to, oh. because I'm sure their stylists or their advisors yeah. are like, don't wear glasses because it makes you look, I don't know, inferior or weak. But that that's why I just think it's yeah, oh, that's, so, so, so that's silly. That's so interesting. For someone who doesn't wear glasses, what advice would you give me? Where, where do I start if I wanted to wear glasses? Without optical, I guess, actual glasses. Well, I think that I always say like this, there's two things. One is like people like fit. You've got to get glasses that fit you. And that's the thing that people don't like generally is so badly understood because opticians do such a poor job and brands do such a poor job yeah. of explaining what fits somebody or mm. not. But like, yeah, in the same way, you know what size your sh- shoe yeah. is or shirt or ring should yeah. be like, it's exactly the same with glasses. So that's not, it's not difficult, but it just, you know. Just requires a little bit of research or yeah. asking. What does opinion. that process look like in your store? Yeah, well, the team are brilliant at that, right? So it's understanding. It's basically two things. It's about understanding the size yeah. and shape of your. 
overall head and then yeah. also your bridge fit mm-hmm. and that's really it and you're yeah. just trying to get the lenses to sit in the right yeah. position of your so eyes. they custom make a frame for me because yeah. i have a wide face with like low nose bridge so. yeah but that's yeah. all doable you just choose and you can like bring the nose pad yeah. out and you could add different yeah there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff so like the fit is it's maybe not the sexiest bit but it's the bit you just yeah, need to get it's right it's so important yeah exactly and yeah. then after that there the thing is, like most, when you, when you read the little online blogs and it's all like, work out whether your head is a heart or a pineapple or mm. a peach or whatever, it's all kind of nonsense, really. The, only, there's a general, the general rule is like, offset the geometry of your face. So yeah. if you've got a round face, go for a square mm. frame, vice versa. Like, but really, it's just about, I don't know, working out what your like, personality is. And that's what I lo- yeah, yeah. love about a pair of glasses. Yeah. You can like, you can put a frame on and you can sort of feel like you're a different yeah. person and kind of hide you, behind them like speaking of fit you've got a proprietary technology behind your website right with yeah. the, fit, the fitting one do pe- a lot of people take it up is it accurate like how does it work yeah so i guess there's there's two bits there's um the virtual try on which we have on the site at the moment which is like it's yeah it, it's good it's like people use it a lot it's one of the most popular to the site so it kind of yeah superimposes the frame on your face the problem is it doesn't understand sizing mm. so like it can't work out if your head is tiny or massive yeah it's just putting a frame on it whereas the bit that we're really excited about is the stuff that we yeah, have in our stores which will hopefully roll out online which uses like the true depth camera in like the latest oh, generation of phones and so ipads to measure your face to so you're developing all of this in yeah. us all this technology yeah exactly yeah. what are your thoughts on ai oh well and it's, how it's, like are you using any of them yeah, like aside from this yeah so we're using yeah. well we're using a few things so for that specifically we we're, we're building and training our own deep learning machine learning algorithm to try and recognize features in people's faces and then match that to a frame. And we're just sort of training that and learning that. Um, I mean, it's all, it's here, isn't it? I mean, we use AI here and there, mainly ChatGPT. So I'm starting this in-house incubator program within Astrodemio stuff. And I use ChatGPT to uh, kind of um, create the program. And it was amazing. And like when I go on travels, I try to like structure yeah. travel tra- travel itinerary. So it's kind of like a PA. Oh, you're using ChatGPT to actually create your travel itinerary? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I need to put my judgment into it yeah. and see whether it works. And I used it to um, uh, create creative direction for my husband's 40th birthday, which is coming <laughs> up this month. Well, and what did it say? Well, maybe uh, don't remember. Well, I had a I had a theme, so I like it's yeah. a PTOMO theme. So I said like, oh, it's a 40th birthday party, wow. um, PTOMO theme. This is the budget. Give me some ideas, and it popped up. Like I didn't use any of those ideas, but it was like um, a good starting point to get my creative juices flowing. I mean, it's mad. It's only going to get yeah. better, right? Yeah. So it was kind of like my thought partner. Yeah. Finally. Let's um, wrap up with a couple of advice for our listeners. What was the toughest thing you had to do throughout your journey? Uh, the toughest thing. I mean, COVID was really tough, mm. if I'm honest. Like, yeah. it was, um, we had to make 23 people redundant. Oh, that's uh, so hard. Yeah, that like that bit was not, that was really, really tough. Um, and do it all really, really, really quickly in a way that is kind of also, you know, sort of respectful and um, yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, so that was really tough. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's people related stuff, having difficult conversations. I mean, I still yeah. don't really, it's not, doesn't come naturally to me. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah. But you do realize there's kind of better ways to do it. It's yeah. never nice, but like, yeah, you, you can just learn to be more, I guess, empathetic. Yep. And I do, but I do look back, at, still, I still look back at some of the times where I haven't been particularly, I've been mm. clumsy and not very empathetic. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I'm yeah. Yeah, regretful. Yeah. I think as founders, we have such 
huge sense of urgency and responsibility towards the business. Sometimes we forget about the people, don't we? Yeah, completely. And that's like, you know, that's my biggest regrets like as well. Tom, how do you keep yourself sane or less insane? Less insane. It's a very good question. I guess it's like, you know, practical stuff like, you know, try not to work all the time. I think learn those benefit of like not working, go for walks, go jogging, try not to drink as much, all that kind of stuff. But I think like realizing that it's okay for stuff to go wrong helps me not go fully mental. I think at like the beginning, what I contributed to it going wrong by like, it's like, you know, um, Lenny and of Mice of Men. You kind of love it so much that you're kind of killing it by kind of being overbearing. Mm. And I was definitely a bit like, and so just sort of knowing when it's like, all right, to walk away. But like, I wouldn't say it's, yeah, I wouldn't say it's allowed me to be fully sane. I, like I, my work-life balance is still not um, as probably it should be. Do you send out random emails at 3am to your team still? Who's asking? <laughs> uh, it's, it's more like 5am. 5am, that's even worse. No, I, I, I discovered, no, I've try, I am try, I, I'm trying to do, you can do like a thing in Google now, Google yeah. where you can like schedule it. So you schedule it for 5am instead <laughs> yeah. of 9am. So I'm trying... <laughs> I'm trying to do that. I think some people would still, yeah. I, yeah, I still struggle with that. I still wake up in the middle of the night and start working. Yeah. Like, I just think that's part of, like, yeah. my identity. But I also do need to realise that... Well, I think a lot... There was a period where people thought that they had to, like... If I emailed mm. them at some stupid hour, yeah. that they had to, re like, reply. Which, obviously, it's on me not to do that. Yeah. But then also just, like, setting people's expectations that it's absolutely yeah. fun. Like, ignore me. Like I think I'm it's just, hard, though, when yeah. you're the boss. Um, my advice is you should have kids. Then you have no time and energy to send emails at 2 a.m. <laughs> and one advice you'd give um, an early stage entrepreneur. Uh, one piece of advice. Um, I would say like work out why you want to do it. Like, like, like genuinely because um, it, does, it does start feeding into, because then it helps you make decisions. Like if, if it is you want to do something because this is what you want your life to be, that's fine. If it's like, you want the the glory that's also fine if it's you want to build it and sell it and make money that's also fine if it's like but i do think like there's there's probably not enough like i pro yeah probably wasn't honest with myself enough at the beginning about why i was really doing it especially when it started like growing and it became, actually became my job like and as a consequence i made some like probably bad decisions because i probably got caught up in the time where it was like oh actually i want to be like you know, an entrepreneur and like, you know, build it, but you know, and it'll be measured in how many million pounds it's making, that kind of stuff. But I, I look back and I was like, I was just kidding myself because I probably got caught up in the kind of romantic idea of what an entrepreneur is in the 21st century. Whereas actually I really just want to like, and I still just want to start a really, I just really want a nice glasses company. And like that helps me make decisions when it comes to things about investment or who we hire or how fast we grow. Um, and so, yeah. Be really, really honest, honest with yourself at the beginning and good things will follow. Yeah, that's such good advice, Tom. So how can people follow you? They go to cubits.com. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they can follow cubits on Instagram. We're not on Twitter anymore. Yeah, I'm trying to convince our brand team to get rid of Instagram, but they don't really, they don't want to do that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Connie. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you're listening or watching. You can follow me at Connie Nam, Astrid and Mew at Astrid and Mew, and Unboxed Instagram page at Unboxed underscore Founder Confidential. See you next week. <laughs>